Good morning once again, everybody. My name is Alan. So thankful that you're here with us. And yes, it was an awesome experience last night. And I do want to give a shout out to the army of volunteers who made it happen, as well as the staff who worked super hard to make that happen. So way to go. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to extend a special welcome to any of you who might be here today as a result of last night and just wanted to flow into worshiping with us here today. We are thrilled that you're here, and uh, we'd love to take care of your kids with children's ministry, etc. So again, glad you're here. We are finishing up a four-week series uh, called How to Build a Life, and we've been looking at the book of Colossians. Uh, each chapter of that book to kind of help us understand that, as well as using the metaphor of Lego. I am going to miss the Lego set on stage. I have wondered which one of these pieces I might put up in my bedroom. Uh, I to see how that might look. But uh, as I have shared here in this series, I grew up playing Lego. I love Lego. Uh, I have two older brothers, so us three boys played a whole lot of Lego together. And then my wife and I, our first two kids were boys. And so I watched them play a whole lot of Lego. So as a sibling and as a father, I'm very familiar with how boys play with Lego. And the way boys play with Lego is we create things, usually ships and and things that can destroy other things. And we do sound effects. Uh, Sound effects are a very important part of a boy's Lego experience. So lots of lots of explosions, lots of screeching tires, all of that kind of stuff. So very familiar with that on many levels. And then God blessed my wife and I with our third child of a different gender. So we had a little girl, and she loves playing with Lego as well, and we didn't change the Lego training system, we didn't change the sets, we didn't change any of that, but on her own, she plays Lego differently than the boys did. And so we just fascinating to watch her. She would make the little minifigures, then she would assemble them around a little Lego table and have them talk to one another. How are you today? Oh, what would you like for dinner? And, they, and then they would say, how does it make you feel when, when mom and dad step on you and then yell? Oh, how does that make you feel? And so, so it's just fascinating how this all works. But whether it's a boy experience with Lego or a girl experience with Lego, they come to life when you give them a voice whether it's a screeching tire or a a laser cannon on a ship, or it's an actual voice, that when you give the figures a voice, they get a personality. And that's, that's part of the fun of Lego, whether it's a set or something that you've created yourself. It's the voice that you give the Legos that makes them come alive. And, and that's what makes the recent Lego movies so interesting. I, of course, didn't have those when I was a kid, but you watch the movies now, and then these little plastic pieces, they now have a voice, and they have personalities. And so you have one that sings, everything is awesome, and he's optimistic, overly optimistic about everything, and so there's this personality that comes to it. Our voice is a very big part of our personality a very big part of the life that we're trying to build. So as we're walking through the book of Colossians, chapter one was about 
deciding who's in charge of your life. Are you going to be on the throne, or is Jesus going to be the Lord of your life? Chapter 2, Don Doe talked about growing deep roots in our faith system. And last week in chapter 3, I looked at this idea of, of clothing ourselves with the things of God. But now here in chapter 4, the question and the topic is, is this idea of our voice and our conversations, that we are so shaped by the words that we say, by the words that others hear us say, that those words proclaim to the world who we are and what's truly going on inside of us, that our personality is so connected to our voice to the words that come out of our mouth. Have you ever met somebody and your first visual impression of that person was something very positive? You thought, this is a very attractive person. This is a very well-taken-care-of person. It's an attractive woman or it is a handsome man. And then you heard them talk. (laughs) Then you hear the words come out of their mouth. Have you ever had this? And it's just kind of like, oh, wow, they're not quite... They're not quite as attractive as they thought they were simply because of the words, that our words very much are a part of who we are and this personality, etc. And so in this fourth and final week, we're talking about the words that come out of our mouth, the importance of our voice and the words we choose to use with that. As we head into it, as always, we're going to pray and uh, make sure that we are in line with the word and the voice of God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm thankful for the voice that you've given us, that we are made in your image, and so uh, you have given us word, and so we, um, we get to share the word. We get to use our voice. We get to use words to communicate about you, to communicate about what's going on inside of us. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at this chapter over these next few moments here, that you would align us with the words that you would have us say, and that you would get the glory for all of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as I said, we are looking at the book of Colossians, a small book in the New Testament. And uh, it's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a leader in the early church, and he wrote a number of letters that are a part of our New Testament to cities around the Mediterranean Sea. And the letters that we find in the New Testament, the name of those letters refer to the city that they were addressed to. So the book of Romans in the New Testament was was a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Rome. He hadn't been there, but he longed to be there, and so he wanted to write uh, them. The book of Ephesians was written to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. One possible reason that we are less familiar with Colossians, perhaps, than some of the other letters, is that we don't know how to pronounce the city that it was sent to. That's just, just a guess on my part. But uh, this, is, this city is pronounced so many different ways. And so the book of Colossians was sent to the people in the city of Colossia, Delphia, Colossae, Colossae, Coloss. You know, uh, and we have our group that meets and we talk about this. And whenever somebody reads about this or they think, they look to me and they say, how do you pronounce that? How do you pronounce this, the name of the city? So if you can't pronounce it, if people in your group can't pronounce it, it's okay. I've met very few people who can say that city confidently. 
Okay? That's okay. That's all right. There's sometimes, as we'll find out in just a minute, sometimes it's better to say, I'm not sure, than it is to pretend that you have all the answers. In chapter 4 of this letter that Paul wrote to the people of Colossae, <laughs> Paul kind of wraps up this letter. And he gives kind of these concluding thoughts, comments, beginning in verse 2. He says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I'm going to come back to that word in a moment. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, here's the verse that I want to land on for the rest of our time here this morning. is chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul says in verse 5, as he's uh, it just brings clarity to the fact that he's talking to a group of Christians. He's talking to a group of people who are part of this, this newly established Christian church, and they are, um, and he's, he's talking to them about how to have conversations with people who do not believe the same things that they believe. They're simply not in the faith of the Christian faith. And so that's what he means by outsiders. It's not, a, it's not a hierarchy by any means. It's just saying these are people who are outside of our Christian faith experience. That's what he's, that's what he's referring to. Now, by no means is Paul saying here in this, uh, in this verse that we, are to, um, that we are to have an answer for everything. He says at the end of verse 6, you may know how to answer everyone. That doesn't mean that if you are a believer, you need to know it all in terms of having answers for those who are outside of the faith. By no means is that, does that, what, is that what this is requiring. We, we, we do not have to walk around saying, I have to know the answers to everything. In fact, uh, people particularly do not want to have interactions with Christians who are know-it-all. <laughs> I mean, there's something very uh, dissatisfying about that. So the whole thing is not, you need to be a know-it-all. That's not what it is. Uh, 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 that's not what it is that Paul's talking about. He's saying you need to have a, a, a response ready for people who are outside of the faith, for people who have questions. So when people are stirring up very real questions about why do bad things happen to, bad, to good people and, and, and questions about dinosaurs and questions about a number of other faith issues and such, that, that the idea is not to have all the answers but instead to, to make sure that you are ready with a response on whatever conversation may happen, that you are ready with a response. And sometimes the best response we can have is to say, I don't know. And the worst response we can have is to say, well, Paul's writing to the city of Colossus, and he's saying, you know, if we come across as know-it-alls, it's just, it's just absolutely unappealing. And it can be so powerful to say, I'm not sure. Either I've never thought about that question before. That's a great question. I'll look into it. I'll get back to you. Or to say, I, I don't have the answer to that. I've asked that question myself, and I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know why God has set things up in that way. But let's continue in conversation as we do this to, 
to not have all the answers, but to be prepared to respond. This is good advice. Again, Paul is talking to Christians about how to respond to outsiders. But this is great advice even for those who are not yet believers. It's great advice in terms of how to build a life, to be mindful, to be thoughtful of those who are outside of your circle. To just to be mindful of the things that we say, we, we might get a lot of grace with the people who are really close to us, but how are the things that, that, that we say, how are they coming across to people outside of our circle? It's, it's a wise thing to be mindful of that. Because just think about all of the things that we hear people say or talk about that we're not interested in hearing. How many things do you consistently hear from people and you're going, yeah, I, I'm not interested. I, I, I don't want to hear this. I'm not talking about healthy stuff where people are challenging you and you don't want to hear it, but it's healthy for you to hear it. I'm not talking about that stuff. That stuff's great. I'm talking about the stuff you really don't want to hear. For example... Nobody wants to hear about your struggle with traffic. Nobody wants to hear it. I mean, I know you had, I know it, I know how it feels. We've been there, we've been in the car, we're heading somewhere, and we know the first thing we're gonna do once we meet with those people, we're we're gonna complain about all the traffic and how stuck we were in that lane and how ours was the worst lane and everything. Nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody's interested. Nobody wants to hear how hard it was for you to park. Yeah, I had to go around three times. Couldn't, but then I had to pay nine bucks. Can you believe it? Nine dollars to park over. Whoever you're meeting, they're probably they probably had to do the same thing, and they had to figure it out themselves too. So the thing: Do, do you need a lesson on how to do life, or do you got to park? It's hard to park. I understand that. Sometimes we 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 these are things we don't want to hear from people. We don't want to hear a, a long description of the weather forecast from any of you. We all have the same app on our phone, and we can read the numbers as well. Yep, looks good, looks good, sunny, sunny. Phoenix, 73 degrees, 70, okay, we're good. We don't want to hear how far or how fast you ran this morning. It's impressive. It's absolutely impressive. It's a great thing, but people don't want to hear that. Here's what's fascinating about all those examples that I just said, and some of you might disagree with me, and you're wrong, but you're allowed to disagree with me. Here's what's fascinating about those examples. Time and time again, we don't want to hear those things from people, but we find ourselves saying them anyway. That, that, this is where the conversation wisdom thing comes in, is that we don't want to hear them from others, but we find ourselves saying them anyway. People don't want to hear your negativity. Just, just being negative about life, about the circumstances around you, and yet we find ourselves talking that way. People don't want to hear you or me complain about so many aspects of life, complaining about the job, complaining about the lack of money at the job, complaining about your spouse, complaining about your kids, complaining about your back, complaining about your feet, complaining about your back and your feet because of how many miles you ran, <laughs> complaining about the church, complaining about the pastor at the church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we've got this long list of things that we, uh, we, we want to complain about, and those are things that we don't want to hear from other people. 
And so here's, here's, we all know the golden rule. Jesus has given us the golden rule, and we find different versions of the golden rule in different world religions. It's a very uh, common thing, this whole idea of do to others what you would want done to you. Do unto others as you would have done to you. That's the golden rule. The golden rule of conversations is say to others what you would want said to you. Use words with others that you would want said to you, which means no one should ever have to hear how long you were on hold with customer service. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I'm hoping that it does, just, just a little bit. See, see, Paul has a much better suggestion on, on how to do this. He says, if you want to build a great life, and he says, let your conversation always be full of grace. Be full of grace. Most of the things that I was talking about in terms of things we don't want to hear from other people are things that lack grace. When we complain about circumstances, about people, about our situation, about our job, about our family, etc., when we complain about things, that's the exact opposite of having grace for those situations. It's the exact, that's the exact opposite. We either have grace for what's going on, we're full of grace, or we're full of complaining. It's the exact opposite. And full of grace, living life and having conversations that are full of grace is so appealing. It it is so appealing to those. It draws people in. And Jesus was a master at this. Luke is, was a physician, and he was the writer of one of the Gospels, one of the versions of the story of Jesus. And in chapter 4, verse 22, he says this. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. All spoke well of him, being Jesus, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? It's just great. It just invites you into that world. Is, isn't this this is Joe's kid from just down the block. He's just a normal guy. And yet they were astounded with the impact of his gracious words, that everything he said was gracious. And people tried to trick him into saying and doing things that were not full of grace. They tried to to paint him into a corner theologically and force him to do something or say something that was inconsistent with the with their understanding of the Old Testament, etc. And time and time again, Jesus did not fall for the trick. They would put the woman caught in adultery in front of him and say, okay, Jesus, what are we supposed to do? And, and just like all the other times, he responded, full of grace. He never, ever, ever got tricked by that. One of the other gospel writers was John, one of the disciples of Jesus, and John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's a powerful combination, Jesus was. Truth can be painful. We need truth, but we often don't want it. And so uh, we need it, and it comes in, but when truth comes in with grace, that's impact, that's power, and that's what Jesus modeled. Jesus was full of grace and truth. It was just this this beautiful mixture there that the words that we say, when we decide to say words that are gracious, as Jesus says, 
It has a tremendous impact on people. And when we, when we choose to use words that are, that are not gracious, we can hurt people deeply. You know, most of us learned growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I don't think so. I don't think, see, that's how I feel <laughs> when words are a part of the journey. Words, I mean, all of us here in this room, we can think of a time, we can think of a word right now. Everyone here in this room, we can think of a word or a phrase that was said to us at some point in our journey from a, a thoughtless middle schooler or from an angry moment from mom or dad or some moment in high school. We can think of a moment of those words that, that, the, that it was 5, 10, 20, 40 years ago, and we can still remember some of those thoughtless things that were said to us. That, that's the work of the enemy. The enemy uses those words and those voices and continues to whisper those to us and say, no, remember, this is who you are. This is who you are. And it's a lie. It is a, it is a flat-out, awful, awful lie. So if you want to have a filter for the words that you use, for the conversation that you have, just ask yourself, is this hurtful to anyone? Does this knock somebody down? Am I saying this because I'm going to get some attention, but it's going to hurt somebody? It's going to push somebody over? Am I saying this because I want to hurt somebody? Am I trying to push somebody down? Because all of that stuff, if we use our words for those purposes, that's what Satan does. I mean, that's the mission statement of Satan. Jesus says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. So why would we want to use our words to do the work of the devil for him? Instead of that, Paul says, let every conversation, let your conversation always be full of grace. And then he uses a great phrase, seasoned with salt. Full of grace and seasoned with salt. This, in the ancient world, this was a, this was a figure of speech that uh, talked about uh, this idea of, of, our, of our words being seasoned with salt means that our words are, are spicy, they're tasty, they're zesty, they have, they have flavor to them. There's something uh, attractive and interesting and provocative, and, and it draws you in with those words. We, we all know what it's like to sit under a teacher who, who lacked the ability to season words with salt. We all can remember a teacher at some point in our journey um, who shared the information um, accurately and um, in an appropriate way. And, um, okay, class dismissed. You know, that's, that's, that's like college for some of us, right? It's like, help me, Lord, help me. And then most of us hopefully have been blessed with a teacher somewhere along the line who actually cares about the subject, who, who brings zest and spice and salt and seasons it, seasons the, the, the dish with this delicious salt. We've experienced teachers like that. And what a difference that makes when the, the message is seasoned with salt or not. And, uh, uh, I mean, a huge difference between one or the other. And if you're passionate about that, if you're passionate about something, you will season it with salt. 
Whatever you're passionate about, that just comes out differently. I wanted to be a math teacher. That was my original education. I was going to engineering, and then I was going to be a math teacher. And so I wanted to do that because I love math. And my kids have, have rolled their eyes multiple times at me saying, math is a gift from God. Math is a beautiful thing from God, though with the consistency and the structure of math, and they just go, yeah, whatever, Dad. And so, so, so what do you talk about with zest and spice and passion? The cardinals? <laughs> or what about, what about the coyotes? They're, they're, that, that's a hockey team. Okay, so they, last, yeah, last night, they pummeled on Tampa Bay 7-1. to one. This team is, is, I think they're number one in the East, and, and the Coyotes come in there and say, not in my house. See, the Coyotes were awesome last night. Well, what about the Dodgers? Yeah, a few Dodgers fans. First one all morning right there. What about the Red Sox? Anybody care? Okay, okay. See, there's stuff, you know, particularly when we get to sports. We know how to talk zesty language. We know how to talk salty, spicy language. If we're passionate about something, we'll jump on board with it. It's why, it's why you know, kids, when they learn bad words, that's why they use them. They, those are spicy words, right? And, and, but that's why they use them. But, but, even, but, but some kids don't grow out of that. And, and, and grow up and continue to, you know, why would, why would we use nasty words or phrases that are hurtful to other people or distasteful or vulgar or whatever? Why do we do those things? Why did you do those things in middle school or high school or whatever? We do those things. We say those things because we want to use our words. We want our words to be salty, spicy. We want them to stand out. So that, that's why we, we're basically saying, see, see, notice me. Would you notice me? Notice the, my words are different than what other people are saying. We want our words to be salty, but when we're immature, we often just land on vulgarity and such. Paul says that if you want to build a life, you want to go into maturity, then you balance the seasoned with salt with full of grace. So yeah, we understand seasoning with salt, but when you get both full of grace and seasoned with salt, full of grace and seasoned with salt, that's where the beauty happens. It's both. Some of us have a natural leaning towards one or the other. Some, some of you in here, you are naturally quiet. You're, you're your personality is more quiet. So you, you prefer not to talk when you're in groups, larger groups. You don't want to talk in front of people. And it's very possible that you are more naturally full of grace in how you interact with others because that quietness makes you not say some of the things that the idiot next to you is going to say. <laughs> Sometimes that quietness leads to full of grace but you also get to be seasoned with salt. What are you passionate about? And how, even if you're a quiet person, how can that passion come out in your interaction with other people? But then others of you, you are salty. 
Others of you, and you know who you are, you are salty. You are natural salt machines. You're like the Dead Sea. You are salty, salty people. And so you just got to remember that when you're salty and you're seasoned, and when you talk, people listen, etc., you can be powerful and persuasive and witty and smart and be full of grace. And Paul says, yes. <laughs> combine about, yes, be seasoned with lots of salt and beautiful spices, and be full of grace. So on the, this issue of seasoned with salt, I think, I think it's a sin to be dull and boring. I think it's a sin to be boring. I had, I had somebody last Sunday, last Sunday, catch me in the, in the lobby and say, hey, Alan, I want to talk to you for a second. A guy pulled me over and he said, I've been coming here for four years and I just want you to know, I have never fallen asleep in church in those four years. <laughs> he was so proud of himself. And I was frankly pretty excited. I was really interested in the rest of the story to say, how often did you fall asleep prior to that? I, I was really interested in that, but we're just, we're just going to go with that. Now, I understand that, that Christian faith and spiritual growth and development is more than just staying awake for an hour on Sunday morning. I understand that, but that's a good start. That's a good start. As we talk about our faith, as we talk about the Jesus who has set us free, we can bring salt to that conversation. Salt, and uh, it shouldn't be dull and boring. I think it's a sin for it to be boring. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you have no excuse. You have no excuse because your story is not boring. It's just your version of the story. It's just your telling of the story, perhaps. But it's not boring. No redemption story is boring. The whole idea of redemption, I was this, but now I'm that. This is what life was like before Jesus. And then for whatever reason, I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home, if you grew up in Canada, wherever the story might be, this is what I was like before Jesus got a hold of me, and this is what life was like afterwards. It's not perfect, but it's changed because of the reality of Jesus. That's never a boring story. That's never a boring story. We all can be seasoned with salt, and you get to do that in your own unique way, your unique mixture of seasonings. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be funny. You don't have to be smart. But we all get to be seasoned. So we, we combine this idea of full of grace and seasoned with salt. Now, before I wrap up, there's one final word I want to take a look at here in verse 6. That your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Is it possible to always be both? Is it possible to always be full of grace, seasoned with salt? The, the, the reason a word like that jumps out for me is that I always kind of cringe when I read Scripture and there's a superlative, like always or never, because I just think, okay, how am I supposed to deal with that? Is that really always, never? And so there's come some things I just kind of go, wow, where, where's the grace in that, in that suggestion on how to do life? I do. I kind of wrestle with that a little bit. And sometimes... You know, the reality of life says, I don't want to go down this path, but, but sometimes I just, I, I, I don't have a choice. So, for example, um, with our feelings and emotions, 
you know, the, the, those things, they just happen to us. We, we, we just, the idea is how we respond to them, not necessarily the fact that we're having those feelings or emotions. We might have feelings or emotions at some point in our week, in our month, where we say, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. It's, it's not in line with what God has for me, but I feel it anyway. I don't want to be angry right now. I don't want to be jealous right now. And so we, we have to, so, so we can't have a word that says, never be angry, <laughs> Never be jealous. That just, doesn't, that just doesn't compute because sometimes we're just stuck. Sometimes we're just stuck with temptations and the reality of, of things, you know, in our digital world, we're faced with things on a, on a consistent basis. This week I was prepping for this message. I was at BibleGateway.com. And I often go to BibleGateway.com to kind of do some scripture reference stuff. And, I, and as I was there, there was an advertisement on the right side for a gene company. And it had a model who did not look like my grandma. Let me just tell you, that's all I'll say. So here I am on a Bible website, and I'm looking over going, I didn't need to look at that right now. I didn't need to look at that today. And so temptation, the fact that we're faced with temptation is just like, you know, I can't avoid that always. But we can't take that rule when it comes to the words that come out of our mouth. We can't, we can't say, you know, always that's not reasonable because we are always accountable to every word that comes out of our mouth. It's never an involuntary experience. You are responsible for every word that comes out of your mouth, even when you hit your thumb with a hammer. You still have control over what comes out. Every moment, every scenario, every situation. I want to close with a verse from Psalm 141. This was written by King David long ago in the Old Testament. He was a very powerful, very persuasive, very successful king of ancient Israel. And he understood the power and the significance of his words. And so in Psalm 141, he says this to God. He makes this request of God. Verse 3, Set a guard over my mouth. Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a good word for any of us who say, I want to always be mindful of the words that I say. Paul's words here are, are, are in verse 6, they're difficult for sure, but they're doable. They're doable. We, we, say, we say, just like David, God, help me today. Guard Put a guard around my lips. Help me to say things that are honoring to you. Help me to be both full of grace and seasoned with salt. May every one of our conversations be both. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I pray that you would remind us in a significant way today of the power of our words. That we can remember a word from long ago that was spoken to us because of the pain that was caused. And so God, in the, on the inverse, help us to live lives that, that speak words that are full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we and our family and our friends and those are in, our, in the lives around us 
can have memorable, positive moments because of the power of our words. God, I pray that you would bless our relationships this, this week, our family relationships, our working relationships, our friend relationships, our school relationships. God, would you, would you bless those interactions and that we would be mindful, we would remember the power of our words that when everyone else is saying words to get attention, etc., we would say words that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.